0: Massive protests and a wave of strikes has intensified throughout France as President Emmanuel Macron seeks to impose by decree an anti-worker reform, I put that in quotes, of the country's pension system. With Macron bypassing a vote in Parliament, workers in France have sought to shut down business as usual to defend the right to retire with dignity. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program, this show, brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you if you're not yet to become a patron today. If you enjoy listening or relying on this show or both. Richard Wolf is the co founder of the organization democracy at work He's the author of many books. The latest being the sickness is the system when capitalism fails to save us from pandemics or itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back.
1: Thank you, Brian. I'm glad to be here.
0: We're going to talk about France and we're going to talk about the rising of big parts of the population against the dictatorial methods used by Macron to shove through this anti-worker so-called reform, again, to elevate the age in which workers can retire. But I want to mention a few other things as we get started here, Richard. We're, we're recording this show on Tuesday, April 4th. Donald Trump is being arraigned where you are today. I believe you're in New York City. That's where you live. That's true. Jamie Dimon, CEO of one of the biggest banks in the country, released his much-vaunted annual CEO report today. And if one reads between the lines, and they're pretty easy to read, he's suggesting that the SVB meltdown and the other bank meltdowns could be just the, the tip of the iceberg. In other words, not reassuring news at all, even though there are some reassuring sort of tones in his message. It's also the 55th anniversary today, Richard, of the assassination of one of the great leaders in U.S. history, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was, he was killed as he was organizing the Poor People's Campaign, which was to take place in Washington, D.C., an occupation, a planned occupation by poor people of the nation's capital, demanding that the minimum wage be increased, that the government do things to end poverty, to have a real war against poverty rather than the ongoing war that was taking place at that time in Vietnam. By the way, the minimum wage in 1968, 55 years ago, was by today's dollar standards actually forty percent higher than the current federal minimum wage, which it did not increase when you look at all of these issues, Trump's arraignment, the bank meltdown, the you know sort of unmet needs and dreams of people fighting for social justice, including for the millions or tens of millions of very poor people in the country, I think what's important about it is that it's a problem not really of one issue or another issue it's a system problem and at the same time we have what would seem to be in France a new rising of the people in France against the policies of the Macron government similar to policies here and the French have this tradition this tradition of revolution it's a militant tradition. I mean, Marxism, according to Lenin, when he wrote his little pamphlet, Three Sources, Three Components of Marxism, he says Marxism is based on British political economy and German philosophy and French socialism, meaning the, the resistance of the people of France. Anyway, I want to put it into the sort of a global perspective, because what's happening in France could, as it has in the past in France be a spark that lights a bigger fire in terms of those or for those who are seeking social and economic justice. Let's get started there.
1: Okay, I think it's very helpful, the connections that you draw. Martin Luther King obviously believed in getting people into the streets, into motion, into the kind of social movements that masses of people can use to make a democracy real. Not something that happens once a year in a voting booth, but something that is really part of life itself in shaping the community and the society and the government that sits over you. Martin Luther King championed it. The French people live it. And that's the important difference and the important lesson, I think. So I want to go over briefly what is going on in France. It is historic, Even for France, it's historic, but for all of the rest of the world, once again, the French are taking the lead. But they are not the only ones. A very similar struggle over pensions is going on in Spain, which borders France. And comparable struggles are going on everywhere. The Republican Party in this country has introduced several bills into the Congress to basically cut Social Security pensions in the United States. So what is happening in France is directly relevant to what is being contemplated by the Republican Party, which at this point has Mr. Trump as its leading candidate for the presidency. In France, here's the situation. The leadership of France, which is in the hands of an elite, wealthy, core of people, of which Mr. Emmanuel Macron is the current leader. This is a traditional government, basically focused on the traditional upper-middle-class corporations and the rich. And they have gotten themselves into a budgetary mess, as they often do. On the one hand, the French economy isn't what it once was. It's got lots of really good competitors, and it's not all that good at competition. It is also facing higher energy prices, as all of Europe is, in large part stimulated by the sanctions program against Russia, which has had much more adverse effect on the rest of Europe than it has on Russia. With the result that the French government has to do something to cope with its budget failure. And by budget failure, I mean they don't raise enough money in the taxes that they levy to pay for the programs that they undertake. And so, Mr. Macron and his advisors, some of whom I know, have come up with the kind of plan these kinds of politicians are famous for. They came up with the plan of taking away two years of pension for elderly, retiring workers in the French working class. The age to retire. They proposed to raise from 62 to 64 years. I'm not going to talk about the fact that they are, of course, way better for the workers there than they are in this country, where you already can't start until you're over 65. So they did that because that's a really good budget improver. Why? Because two years of paying out pensions, the government saves— And by forcing those people to stay at work, they keep putting more money into the pension program withheld from their pay for those last two years. So there's more money coming in and less money going out. For the bean counter mentality of the French leadership, this was a solution to the problem. They also did something else which the papers here don't much report. They increased the number of years you have to have worked to get the full pension. If you've worked less than that, you get a much smaller pension. This is particularly harsh for women. Why? Because women in France are still disproportionately taking time off to take care of the children and are often stuck, even involuntarily, in part-time jobs, which don't count in the same way toward your pension. So this is a program that hurts the working class in general, and women workers in particular, which is part of the reason why so much of the leadership of these strikes across France are women, who have taken a very important lead. They began their strikes weeks and weeks ago. They've kept it up for a very long time, and they're scheduling another one this week. And they brought millions—m-i-l-l-i-o-n-s—millions M-I-L-L-I-O-N-S, millions of their fellow French citizen into the streets blocking traffic blocking fueling stations doing everything they can to say you are not going to balance the budget of this government on the backs of the working class and of course the working class is upset in France because they're being hurt by inflation like here being hurt by rising interest rates like here, having suffered through the crash of 2020 and the pandemic, like here, and they're doing something about it, unlike here, except for a few here in the United States. Yes, we have a wave of militancy, long overdue but a mass outpouring of the people affected by the inflation and the rising interest rates and the COVID and the crash? No, we don't have that because we don't have a tradition of the sort the French have. We don't have people taking democracy seriously and saying we will show that we will not support or accept what's going on. It's what exactly what Martin Luther King called on poor people, white and black, to do in America, as the French are doing now. And they're inspiring others. Recently, I'm talking about last week, the German working class began to show the influence of France. All the workers in the transport industries, the trains, the buses, the airports, shut down the entire transport system of Germany came to a halt. What are they protesting? The inflation that is damaging the working class's standard of living. What else can we point to? A headline today in London's newspapers, a new study shows that fully 50% of the British working class has been reducing its expenditures on goods and services because of the high price of energy that they're all paying for their heat and their fuel. They've cut back huge portions of their expenditure. They're not like the French. They're not out in the street. They're not protesting. They're not demanding a governmental and social change. They're taking it out on themselves by tightening their belts, because that's the British way not to tax the corporations, not to tax the rich, No, 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 no. Mustn't interfere with them after they've made, and let's note this please, record profits over the last several years. No, no, no. Not going to have to share their profits with a population being savaged by the inflation. How different from the French, who are saying with all their banners and their millions in the street, you are going to have to tax yourself, fine gentlemen. You're going to have to tax the corporations and the rich. You're not going to take away the pensions we've worked a lifetime for, paid into, oh no, no, no. And this issue is not going away because the budgetary problems of Western capitalism in Europe, in North America, in Japan are not getting better they're getting worse. And the temptation to solve them on the backs of the working class, well, that's what our inflation is already doing. That's what our rising interest rates is going to do more. And if you think the people that run this country are going to hesitate to go after Social Security, well then, folks, you haven't been paying attention.
0: Richard, I want to I stay with this theme, this idea that what the French are doing And of course, the French have this tradition of militant struggle, street struggle. What they're doing could have an effect, a catalyzing effect, a spark that could light a larger prairie fire, so to speak. And if you're somebody who's fighting for social change, an advocate for social and economic justice, you're always looking for some place where there is a struggle, because it's always a struggle that starts something. And then it spreads like a contagion. And in order to really be profound and to be viable, enduring, something that that has lasting value, almost always it has to have an international component, an international element of that struggle. And And when you look at France, you think about, well, there was the revolution in 1789, which wasn't just an event in a year, but it went on for many years. And then there was the struggle of the French in 1830, and then the igniting of what became a continent-wide revolution of, for social change, for workers' rights, for national independence. That was in 1848. There was the Paris Commune in 1871. And at that time, the French elites collaborated with their German enemies to come in and and jointly suppress the Parisians. Tens of thousands of Parisian workers were killed. Anyway, France has played historically kind of a pivotal sort of role in the struggle for social justice. In the main, however, in the last decades, the center of radical political action has gravitated away from Europe and more to the third world, to the global south, to India. Before that, of course, to China, Vietnam, Korea, the Middle East, Cuba, Venezuela, Anyway, you pay careful attention to France. I mean, you do to other parts of the world as well, but you have particular knowledge of France and Germany. What's your take here? Is this something where it's going to be more or less, you know, if we look back in five years, something of a flash in the pan? Or is it possible that this struggle in France actually does start to trigger other continent wide movements in Europe that would have a profound shift or create a profound shift in global politics?
1: Well, I don't believe in prophecy, so I can't tell you what the future holds, obviously. I can tell you that what you're pointing to is certainly a possibility. And here's the reason. France's problems are not unique to France. The reaction of the mass of people is remarkable, stunning, and always in the forefront of mass struggles but the problems are the same. And therefore, it is quite possible that in other parts of Europe or North America or Japan, you're going to see governments pushed into a corner, unwilling or unable to tax the people whose donations keep their politics going, So they have to turn on the mass of people and either tax them or take away programs like pensions from them. And it's being considered in every one of the Western European countries, some more, some less. Spain is literally on the edge of what's going on in France. Other countries are a bit further removed. And here's the broader picture that you may have been thinking about. Capitalism, has left, has moved. I know this is difficult for people to get their hands, or eyes, or brains around, but capitalism has always moved. Think of the United States. It's born in New England, it then moves to the Midwest. But we refer to New England now as a place where there isn't much industry. And the the Midwest is called the Rust Belt because there isn't much left. And then they moved to the West Coast and to the Southwest and to the, the American South. And then they moved out of the country altogether, to Mexico, and then to China, and Brazil, and India, capitalism always moves. It's like a herd of bison leaving an area where they've eaten all the grass to find better meadows someplace else. Capitalism is always looking for fresh, new, cheap labor to exploit. And when they can't do it anymore because the working class has fought back in New England, in Midwest, with strong unions, well then they move to where there are no unions or the unions are weak and they can get away with paying less and when that isn't available anymore, well then they'll go as far away as the other side of the world in China to take advantage of their even lower wages. But what no one quite got was if you let that happen for the last 30 or 40 years, which is what happened, two things result. Number one, the good jobs, the union jobs, disappear in the older parts of capitalism that the capitalists have abandoned. That's in the United States, Western Europe, and Japan. And you know where the jobs are exploding? China, India, Brazil, where capital goes. That's the way this system works. Just to give you one statistic, over the last 30 years real wages in the United States, that's the money you get in your wage packet relative to the prices you have to pay for whatever you buy, real wages in the United States have gone up less than one percent a year. In other words, stagnant real wages. In the People's Republic of China, real wages over the last 40 years have quadrupled. I mean, it's a different planet that the working class in China is on. They have experienced capitalism arriving there, capital invested, buildings going up, factories going up. That's why everything we have in this country uh, practically is made in China, or if not there, then in another country going through the same experience. So the working class has to understand, in France, in Spain, in England, here, you're on the chopping block. You're what the capitalists are going to try to use to buffer the pain of a declining capitalism, of a declining empire. They don't want to give up their power, their wealth, their luxury. So someone's going to have to give up, and they want it to be you, the working class. So taking away your pension, taking away your food subsidy, taking away your housing support, yeah, that's what they're going to be doing. They won't say it to you. They'll tell you the way Mr. Macron is. This is a pension reform. When you hear a politician use the word reform, hold on to your wallet, because that's what it's really about.
0: Richard, I in our last couple minutes, I want to read to you from a Bureau of Labor Statistics report in the United States. And it goes directly to the point that you're making about how capitalism is changing and change is, and that's nonstop, but also its impact on working class communities. Here's it's the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Oh, and this report is from November 2020, so it's two years old, but it was like in the middle of the COVID economic decline. But aside from the decline, this is talking about a larger trend. The headline of the report is 40 Years of Falling Manufacturing Employment. Despite being a leading driver of employment growth for decades, manufacturing has shed employment over the past 40 years as the U.S. economy has shifted To service providing industries. In June 1979, manufacturing employment reached an all-time peak of 19.6 million jobs. In June 2019, in other words, 40 years later, employment was at 12.8 million jobs, down 35%. I mean, this is exactly what you're talking about. When you look at this trend, it's a trend. It wasn't like Oh, down this year, up next year, et cetera, et cetera. This is a trend because the capitalists have decided we can take these factories, take them thousands of miles away, employ labor at very low wages, produce products that can be then sold back to the Americans, back to the U.S. domestic market. We can buy shirts that used to be made, well, I used to work in a textile factory in in uh, Rochester, New York. And and that was a big textile clothing manufacturer. Then that closed and it went to South Carolina. Then it went to Bangladesh. So now people in the United States are buying t-shirts from Bangladesh for $6. A shirt that was made thousands of miles away can be sold for a profit at $6 retail. Anyway, but here you have 35% decrease in manufacturing jobs. And just for younger people, If you worked in a factory 40 years ago, it didn't mean it was a terrible job. It could have been a very, very decent job, decent paying job, a union job. Anyway, huge impact, and again, all for the benefit of capital. Yeah, it's
1: so important for people to understand. Nobody made the corporation go to China. No one held a gun to the head of the CEO and said, you're gonna relocate to Shanghai. The reason we buy tons of stuff from China, and by the way, a good nearly half of it is from companies in China that are subsidiaries of American companies located in China. They went there for two reasons. Number one, to pay workers way lower wages and to keep the difference in higher profits for themselves. And number two, they all learned the lesson. Where the jobs go in the end is where the economy really blooms. So now China has a double attraction, not only lower wages still than in the West, but the fastest growing market that any capitalist could sell into. So American corporations keep going, even with the saber rattling between the United States and China, trade has been bigger every year for the last decade. Through the Trump administration, through the Biden administration, there's too much money to be made. And therefore, the Chinese capitalist system explodes, giving China power around the world that the Americans can only jealously gesture at with lame attacks on the Chinese that do not change change the underlying reality. Theirs is a growing capitalist system run by the government, and ours is a private capitalism shrinking in the
0: shadows. All right, we're going to leave it there. Perhaps at another time, Richard, I'd like to talk to you in greater depth about the Chinese economic model. I'd like to have a larger, longer conversation with you about that. But let's do that at another time. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to go to his website and check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 PM Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners.